0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I'd like you to um, think about the worst storm you've ever been in. Anybody here ever really been in a, in a bad, bad storm? Okay? A few of them. The worst storm I ever experienced in my life was um it was president's day weekend 1978 the reason i know that is it was my first weekend at my very first ministry position and we had moved up to oregon and we were um, we were actually staying at the pastor's house because we didn't have a place to live yet and that weekend they had gone away so it was just betty and i in pastor's house you know not our own home and it was like the worst storm yeah, I mean, it was trees were falling down. Power went out. We could see the sliding glass door kind of do this wobble, thinking it's going to you know, crash in any moment. And, and when the power went out, you know, we're stuck. This is not our house. We have no idea if there's flashlights or candles or where they would be. You know? So we're you know, crawling around, trying to find our way around. Out the whole evening. Just decided, well, nothing else. We'll just go to bed. Now, we didn't think that much about it because you know, we were from California, and this was our first time in Oregon. And so, you know, we just thought, well, this is, this is Oregon storms, you know? This is, you know. So the next day we get up and we're up there and people are just going, wow, what a storm. And it's going on and on and on. Did you know this? And I thought, really? I just thought this was Oregon. You know, I wasn't particularly brave. I was just ignorant, you know, I was just totally oblivious to what was going on. Um, and wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if that were the case? That you could go through life totally oblivious to the storms? You know, just... Just going on merry way, nothing happening. Um, Trouble is, that's not the way life is. Life brings storms. And with that comes a lot of chaos and havoc and damage, and you you see it all around you. And this morning, we're continuing the series that we started a couple weeks ago, um, talking about miracles of Jesus. And today, I want to talk about storms. Um, or if I could borrow a common saying, paraphrase it a little bit, storms happen. <laughs> so we're going to look at what do you do in a storm? What do you do in a storm? A storm in your life. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 14, uh, a particular storm, one of many, but one that is uh, given to us in the gospel of Matthew. If you want to read along with me, it goes like this, beginning verse 22. Uh, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd. This was right after feeding 5,000. So he's dismissing the crowd and sends them on ahead. After he dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against him. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out with you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is actually more than one miracle. It's actually two, and possibly you could even say three miracles, all in one setting, right in the middle of a storm. The first miracle had to do with the storm itself, but the second and third had to do with something, a very unique event that happened right in the middle of the storm. So this morning, I want to take a look through this uh, with you. And we're going to look at some of the things you need to know about life storms. Because storms do happen. They happen to every one of us. And that's the first point you need to understand. Storms happen to everyone. Nobody gets a pass. Nobody gets a pass. In fact, the old saying is, the thing about troubles is you, you are either in one right now, you are just coming out of one, or you are heading right into one. You know, it's kind of the way life is. I know that's a real exciting uplifting message for you this morning but the truth is that's what it, the way life is notice by the way as you look through this whose idea it was to get into the boat and cross the lake verse 22 Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side they are following Jesus instructions when the storm hits And sometimes we think, well, if I'm following God's will, if I'm doing what he wants, if I'm trying to stay right in the will of God, then then storms aren't going to happen. Somehow I'm immune from that. But I want to see, these guys weren't out of the will of God. They were being obedient to Jesus. And in their obedience, they come across a storm. Because obedience is no guarantee of exemption from storms. In fact, Jesus himself said a little bit earlier, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And you may be here this morning in the middle of a storm in your life, and you're kind of wondering, how did this happen? Where did it come from? How did this happen to me? And storms happen for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes storms come out of our own poor choices. We just make bad decisions, and we suffer the consequences of those. Sometimes the storms in our lives come... Nothing that had to do with us. It's the actions or decisions of of somebody beyond us that we have no control over, but we end up in the storm. I think sometimes storms happen because of the work of the enemy. Satan. His name literally means the opposer, the accuser. And that's what he does. He stirs up trouble. Causes us to doubt. Sometimes I think storms just happen because we live in a broken, broken world. Sometimes we got to go through storms to get to the other side. See, notice the storm was not the destination. Jesus had a destination for them on the other side. But to get to the other side, they had to cross the lake. And that meant a storm. And sometimes... For God to get us from where we are to where He wants us to be. Sometimes it's going through a storm. That God will bring us through storms to get us to where He wants us to be. And you can probably do this. I know I can. I can look back on my life and look at some of the particular storms in my life. The, the situations, the circumstances that I went through. And, and, and they were miserable at the time and, and horrible at the time. And I didn't want to be in them. But I look back and I say, wow, changed me. A couple of weeks ago I shared... One instance, and very early in my ministry, just being in a place that was just absolutely devastating to me, and wondering, God, how could this be? But I'll tell you, coming through that experience, I am a different person. I am a different pastor. I do ministry a whole lot differently because of that experience. And had I not gone through that, I would not be where I am today. Now, knowing that doesn't make it any less stormy. You know, when you're caught in the middle of the storm, it's still pretty brutal. (laughs) But just understand, storms happen to everyone. These guys are following, God's instruct, following Jesus' instructions. They're completely in the will of God, and they're going through a storm. And it's a horrible storm. Verse 24, the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. It's out right in the middle there. And it's buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, that word buffeted, you know, that's not a, like a common word these days. So buffeted really doesn't kind of give you the feel of it. I mean, you think of buffet, you kind of think of, You know, Jimmy Buffett, you know, (laughs) wasting away in Margaritaville. That's buffeting. No, that's not buffeting. The NIV actually gives a better, um, the New New International Reader's Version does it even better. It says it was being pounded by the waves. This was a huge, huge storm. Storms happen. They will happen. But when storms happen, you need to know you're not left all alone. The storms are going to come. You can't get away from them. But know this. When the storms happen, you are not left all alone. God shows up. And God shows up at exactly the right time. It might not be your timing. It might not be my timing. But it is perfect in God's timing. And He shows up exactly at the right time. Verse 25. It says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Now, Shortly before dawn, understand, they got in the boat before nightfall the night before. So they launched out into this, going across the lake there. And by the way, when you think lake, think like the Great Lakes, okay? Don't think like little Lake Berryessa, you know. It's a big lake, and storms happen there all the time just because of where it is situated. Um, And so he sent them out actually before nightfall, But now they're out in the middle of this whole thing, and this storm is going, and and it is just it is beating them up. And understand this also, many of these guys were fishermen. They weren't novices, these were seasoned sailors. You know, to be in a storm that is so rough that they can't get across to the other side. Guys who know how to sail, guys who know how to weather out storms, guys who know how to get through storms in their boats. they're, They're professionals. And yet they're not making any headway. They're not getting across. And they started before sunset, and now it's almost dawn. So we're looking at probably anywhere from 8 to 10, possibly even 12 hours. All of their expertise, all that they know about sailing, all that they know about storms, but they're not getting across. I've been in some storms on sailboats, not nearly this bad. But when you're in the middle of a storm and, and the spray is coming over the top and, you just, and the rain is coming down and the wind is beating against you and you got all your foul weather gear on, it is miserable. And it is really hard to see what's going on. And this is happening overnight. So these guys are like doing all that they can to get across. They they've possibly, Quite possibly they took down the sails because you know, they didn't have nice Dacron sails or you know, the sails we got today. These are just old cloth sails. More than likely ripped out. Possibly they're rowing now. And they're just pulling against the current, pulling against the storm. And Jesus shows up. And that's what he does. He shows up very often in our lives when we least expect it. And sometimes in ways we would least expect it. Jesus shows up. And at first, at first they don't even recognize him. Remember, they got the spray coming over the boat. It's you know, just washing over them. They got the rain coming and the wind in their faces. So they're just kind of trying to make out land. And they see this, this something coming, walking across on the water. In fact, it says um, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. They actually thought it was a ghost. Which, which, by the way, have you noticed when you're in a storm, how it kind of makes you imagine the worst that very often happens. You're dealing with the storm, but very often in the middle of all that storm, whatever's going on in your life, you start thinking the worst. You start imagining the worst. This isn't a ghost. It's Jesus. But they're imagining the worst. They can, it's like, you know, okay, if the storm wasn't bad enough, now we got a ghost coming at us, you know? <laughs> what we, I, I know storms. I know sailing, but I don't know ghosts, you know? I don't know what to do. Who are you going to call? No. Um, I mean, they're terrified of this. And that's often what happens when you're in the middle of a storm. Not only are you dealing with the storm, but now your imagination starts to run away with you. And you start thinking the very, very worst. And they're terrified. And it's very interesting. Jesus doesn't leave them to their own imagination. In fact, there's a really important word. It says in verse 24, Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. He knew their fears. He knew what was going on. He knew the imagination that was starting to run wild on them, and it says immediately. That's a really important word. He doesn't leave them hanging to their fears. He doesn't leave them hanging onto their imaginations. When he knows what's going on, and he shows up at just the right time in a way they didn't expect, but he doesn't still leave them hanging. It says immediately. Immediately he speaks out to them. Don't be afraid. It is I," which is another form of the most commonly reoccurring command in the Bible and the most commonly reoccurring promise in the Bible. "Don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you." And that's what he's saying here. Something they would recognize because all of these guys had learned up, grown up learning the Torah, they had grown up learning the history, they'd grown up reading scripture. They knew that phrase: "Do not be afraid. I am with you. Sometimes, storms are our greatest opportunities. Peter, who is true to character, if you read any of the Gospels at all, is very, very impulsive. And so he sees, he sees it, and, and Jesus um, says, don't be afraid, it is I. And it says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out with you on the water. Now, this falls under the category of, be careful what you ask for. (laughs) And I wonder sometimes, what in the world he was thinking? What was he thinking? Because Jesus responds with one word. One word, come. Just come. And at that moment, before he steps out of the boat, I wonder, what is he thinking? See, one of the good things you can do when you study scripture is put yourself in the situation. You know, it's, it's Jesus, you hear his voice, you recognize his voice. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come. You know, it just sounded like a good idea at the time. But then he says, come. What do you do? Did he kind of freeze up for a moment? Am I really going to do this? Don't know. Don't know why he asked the question. Don't know why he thought it might be a great idea. Don't even know what the other disciples who are sitting in the boat with him are thinking right now. It's a huge risk. He is going to do something no one has ever done before. It's a huge risk. I mean, mean, think about that. Just kind of put yourself in that position. There are times, maybe you can relate to this, there are times you've done things that, like, you know, at the time, and it might have been when you were a little kid, and you look back on it and say, well, that wasn't such a big deal. But at the moment, it was huge. One of my favorite programs of my wife and I, I think it's the best of all the reality programs. It's called The Amazing Race. And it's teams. And, and what I like about it is that even if you lose, you got a vacation out of the deal. Because they travel all over the world. And every place they go, they have to complete a task. And, and, and it's a task that's, that's kind of a part of that culture sometimes. So sometimes they got to eat some really, really nasty stuff, you know. Um, they've had to bungee jump out of, um, out of a cable car, you know, on a ski lift. Um, they've had to do some incredible things. And, and we come, Betty and I, we sit on the couch, we're watching this, and she would say, that one you would have to do. You know? I wouldn't do that one. That one would be yours, because you know, they, you know, they get to decide who's going to do which, which activity. And, she's always, and I'd say, oh, yeah, I would do that one. That's the one I would do. You know, it's really easy to sit on the sofa and say, that's the one I would do. Oh, from the comfort of my living room, it's real easy to say I would do that, yeah. But getting out of the boat... That's a whole nother story. See, for them, the boat is safe. It's, it's security. Which, by the way, is only an illusion because they're still in the middle of the storm. And this storm, the, you know, the waves are breaking. It's beating against the boat. And this is, we're not talking about fiberglass monoholes. You know? We are talking about you know, boats put together with plank and wood you know, and pegs. And it's just beating against it. It seems the safe place to be. But really, it's not much safer than what Peter is about to do. I think sometimes we hang on to that illusion of safety and security, and it keeps us from the opportunities. John Ortberg has written a whole book on this story, by the way, which I highly recommend. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. And he writes this about safety. Larry Lawden, a philosopher of science, has spent the past decade studying risk management. He writes of how we live in a society so fear-driven that we suffer what he calls risk-lock, a condition which, like gridlock, leaves us unable to do anything or go anywhere. He summarizes literature on risk management in 19 principles. The first principle is the simplest. Everything is risky. If you're looking for absolute safety, you chose the wrong species. Because you can stay at home in bed, but that might make you one of half a million Americans who require emergency room treatment every year for injuries sustained while falling out of bed. (laughs) You can cover your windows, but that may make you one of ten people every year who accidentally hang themselves by the cords of their Venetian blinds. You could hide your money in a mattress, but that might make you one of tens of thousands of the people who go to the emergency room each year because of wounds caused by handling money. From paper cuts and for the wealthy, hernias. If you step up to the plate, you may strike out, but the greatest hitters in the world fail two times out of three. If you don't step up to the plate, you will never know the glory of what it is like to hit a home run. So I want to ask you this morning what's your boat? What's your boat? What do you hang on to for safety and security? What is the thing that you can't let go of? Because that's your safety. That's your security. That's what, and it's just an illusion. Remember, it's just an illusion. But it feels like if I let go of this, I, had, I got nothing. What is your boat? It might be relational. It might be, mean having a tough conversation with somebody that you love. It might mean... Breaking off a relationship that you know is not right. Might be financial. It might be ministry related. Because it's really easy to come and sit in this boat <laughs> and not take any risks of getting involved in stepping up and taking ministry. Maybe for, you, maybe for you, just getting out of the boat is taking 10 of those door hangers and going in the dead of night when nobody can possibly catch you and putting them on a door. Maybe for you, that's your getting out of the boat. But do something to get out of your boat. Because it's easy to sit on the sofa and say, I would do that. But you can stay there all night long saying, I would do that. I could do that. And never do it. See, I used to be a risk taker. I used to be a huge risk taker. 20 years ago, Launching out, moving to a community we didn't know, to start a church that we didn't know if anybody would ever come to—huge risk—and all along the way, have had this. Risk. But you know what I found? I get comfortable in the boat. It's been a while since I've taken any huge risk. I used to be a risk taker. I want to be that guy again. want to be that guy because this church body these people gathered here this morning in the next two services we have today this property that we meet on this building we meet in are all the result of risk takers people who made risks and stepped out they gave financially beyond their means They committed to ministry they had never done. They gave themselves to getting out of the boat and making God's church flourish. And that takes risks. And I want to tell you this morning get out of your boat. Get out of your boat. Because it's just as risky. In fact, the risk is the risk is that you live a dull, stagnant life and you come to the end with all the regrets of what might have been. Storms are our greatest opportunities. I believe that. They may be scary. They may be risky. But they are our opportunities. And this I know, that what storms do is they bring us to a deeper connection with God. Because storms cause us to reach out. Peter starts out great. You know, he jumped up, he's over the side, he's walking, okay? And then reality hits. And maybe he asks himself, what was I thinking? (laughs) And he starts to sink. He saw the wind, and he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Have you noticed, by the way, have you noticed how it is that sometimes in storms... We, we want to reach out to God, and it's kind of like this. It's like, God, I'm in such trouble. God, it's just, everything's falling apart around me. God, I'm not going to make this unless you come through. God, I need your help. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And then everything kind of evens out, and you go, oh, never mind, Lord. I got this one under control. <laughs> Have you noticed that? And it might be the very same storm, but somehow God works things out, and we think, okay, God, I got it under control, you know? Like you did it, and you miss out on that connection with God. See, here's the thing. Jesus will never leave you to flounder. He will never leave you to flounder. He is there to catch us right away. In fact, here it is again. That word comes up a lot in this story. Immediately, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He starts to sink, cries out, and immediately Jesus reaches down, catches him. Pulls him up. And then he says to them these words. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, I used to read that with a sense that Jesus is scolding him. Like, why did you doubt? But I don't think that's the way it happened. And I've been thinking about that this week, particularly because our granddaughter is just learning to walk. And for about the last month and a half or so, she has been walking around holding on to things. You know, t- kind of unsteady on her feet, but she's just learning to walk. And, and, and this week, she took her first steps. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I didn't even get to see it. I hope it got videoed. But her very first steps. Now, it was only like two or three steps, and then she fell. But you know what? I guarantee you, none of us would have said, what's the matter with you? What are you doing falling? You took two steps. You can walk now. Get up and walk. No! Everybody is overjoyed because you took two steps. And I think that's Jesus. I really believe that's Jesus right here to Peter. He's not saying, what's the matter with you? I think what he's saying is, you took two steps. Why'd you stop? Why did you doubt? You were there. You were doing it. Why did you doubt? Peter took a risk, and he faltered. And you might take risks, and you might falter. In fact, fear of failure is probably the number one reason people do not take risks. And you might fail. You very well might. But here's the thing. It is only Peter who got that personal touch of Jesus, grabbing him by the hand and pulling him back out. Because the other guys, they just got to watch this stuff from the comfort of the boat. And by the way, notice... He says this to Peter before they get back into the boat with the rest of the disciples. This is a private conversation. And it's almost like Jesus picks him up, takes them aside. Why did you doubt? <laughs> you know, He didn't do it in front of all the other disciples. He just took them up just a little bit privately before they get back to the boat. Why did you doubt? You were doing it. The others, they get a little bit of a benefit from what Peter has done. Because they say, they climbed back into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. They got some benefit because of the risk that Peter took. But it was only Peter who got that connection with God. It's only Peter who walked on water. Something no one has ever done since and no one had ever done before. He is the only one that can claim, I did it. I did it. And I think Jesus reaching out to him and grabbing him and picking him up and talking to him on the way back to the boat, I think Jesus was preparing Peter for his future. Because Peter's going to falter again. <laughs> you read through the Gospels. Sometimes Jesus has to just kind of say, you know, get behind me, Satan. He denies Jesus three times. He falters the rest of his life, the rest of his ministry with Jesus, he falters. But I bet at every time he faltered, he thought back to the time he was sinking, and Jesus grabbed him and pulled him up. And he had that memory for all of his life. And every time he faltered, and, he, and you will, you will falter. You will take risks, and you will falter. But every time you falter, you will find Jesus is there immediately to pick you up, take you aside. And just remind you, trust me. Trust me. I think Peter's experience gave him something. Not just the bragging rights to walk on water, but an experience that gave him the absolute assurance that he knows no matter what he does or how he might fail in the future, he will never be left to drown. And that only happens when you get out of the boat. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.